Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 241. I'm John Davis, and we're delighted to have you with us today. And joining us, our senior executive producer, Dave Scribner. Happy to be here. With one of his jewels uh, in the background there. And our online content coordinator, Jessica Ray. Hello. Nice to see you, Jessica. And of course, our over the edge reporter and podcast uh, producer, Greg Carlos. Greg, welcome. Happy to be here with my favorite TV behind me. This is a real background, by the way. <laughs> Mine's virtual. Yeah, but it looks really good. Uh, you'll have to tell everybody the story of your Jeep. Well, tell us the story of your Jeep. The Jeep is my eBay oops that I put one bid on to see if the guy was serious, and he wasn't, and I bought it for whatever I paid for it on one bid. I had to explain to my wife that I bought a Jeep. What I've year? It's a 77 Wagoneer. I've had it restored since then, and it's now my daily driver. You can so, see part uh, of that restoration uh, on our YouTube channel. Yeah. did a lot of Goss's Garage segments about it over the couple, last couple of years, and it's been a nice little project. And it looks really good. Great. All right. Well, we've got a, uh, a trio, actually two new vehicles, maybe three, if you uh, consider a, a regular and a hybrid. Uh, we're going to talk about a special segment that Greg uh, has just finished up. Uh, we have a lightning round, which is pretty interesting and very current. Uh, and we've got a viewer question from Randy. And we'll see if anyone's got a uh, rant and rave. But anyway, this week that we are recording, um, this podcast, you know, where up until now for the last month or so, every week it's been something about the Ford Bronco. Well, I guess GM got tired, and this week it was all about the GMC Hummer EV for 2022. Basically, the first model comes out uh, about a year from now in the fall of 21. It's $112,000 plus. It's called, what, the uh, Edition 1? From there, why don't you three take off and tell us a little bit more about the Hummer, what it is, what can it do, and why should we care? Yeah, I felt like there was uh, a lot of detail, so I actually wrote some stuff down so I didn't forget anything. Uh, There's a lot you of trick to this thing. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, the $112,000 price tag, which is, uh, you know, kind of scenes obscene, uh, but, you know, it, granted, this is a lot more than most pickup trucks are going out at, but not a ton more. I mean, some pickup trucks go out at 70, 80 grand, yeah, uh, depending he, on what you get. Um, so, yeah, we'll get down to the uh, the horsepower, which is 1,000. And then more impressively, the torque is uh, uh, 11,500 pounds. Yeah, the caveat there. Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> How do they do that? I don't know what the answer well, is. The explanation that I've read and that GM has not denied is that they've measured the torque at the wheels where they hit the pavement. And uh, that is a substantially bigger number than your SAE you know, certified uh, torque. The best estimate that's out there, and there's been a couple of them, is in the three motor version, which is what this edition one is, it's probably 800 to 900 pound-feet of torque. So it's not as much as some diesel uh, heavy duties out there, but it's up there. Yeah. So eight, let's say 800 pound-feet of torque for a, quote, light-duty pickup truck. By, that's really by regular measurement size. standards. Huh? 
by regular measurement standards? By regular measurement standards, it looked like they're talking about eight or 900 pound feet. Yeah, that's still uh, yeah, definitely. It's a good call there. Um, 350 miles of range, 800 volt system, which is really the where everything's going right now because you need to be able to charge it fast. And mm -hmm. uh, according to GM, it should charge at about 100 miles per 10 minutes. You know, again, we've said this before with caveats, depends where you are, which fast charger you're on, how much, right. you know, how much draw you need. Uh, but the, the, the really interesting things are its performance capability. So three seconds, zero to 60s, which, you know, whatever, that's cool in a pickup truck, but you're not going to be doing that often. Uh, not, it has a not crab. Not go 350 miles. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it, has a, it has a crab walk feature, uh, which actually has all the wheels turned in the same direction. If you're off-road and you're in a tough spot, uh, it'll actually put you directly sideways either way to kind of literally crab walk you out of a, a situation. Uh, which is a really cool feature and then uh, extract mode you know they all have their own cool marketing terms uh, which will actually give you six inches of lift so which is a, it's a lot to, to raise a suspension jessica any uh, impressions from you 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 certainly had saw everything that social media was talking about yeah um i mean i think overall the look of it certainly is appealing it looks like a hummer so uh that's refreshing um and of course uh the or gm announced that it will also have super cruise which um Can you explain uh, what that is uh it's it's sort of implied yeah it's sort of implied in the title it's sort of a I don't, I, I don't think you could call it autopilot but it's it's autonomous driving but yeah. dave go ahead you go ahead. Um, oh, yeah. I thought you started to say something. No, it's I, autonomous I driving, but it, it basically has the maps built in. So if yeah. you're on a road that it knows, it can drive for you. But I think this new version, you'll actually be able to pass where the Super Cruise is out now on Cadillacs. It won't pass. Right. I just saw that. I just she didn't watch our, our first look of it before yeah. the broadcast to what the heck this thing was. <laughs> and yeah, it just demonstrate the auto passing. Disclaimer, it's not a fully autonomous vehicle, and there are right. no fully autonomous vehicles. It's semi-autonomous. Right. I do think it's a really good system. We've used it in Cadillac, which I think Jessica mentioned. It's the uh, This is the first time a GM brand other than Cadillac is using it. Uh, I found it was a really solid system, and now it's supposed to be even more advanced. So I'm looking forward to driving that. Yeah, it's the yeah, only it's autonomous cool system I would trust. It, it's supposed to, I think it says it has over 200,000 miles of supported roads. So uh, if you live in a major metropolitan area, the roads around you are very likely to uh, be supported with Super Cruise. And I mean, there's still another year until uh, the Hummer comes out. So it will have the, whatever the latest version of Super Cruise is at the time. And um, GM did mention that they're going to start, you know, it's not going to just be an explicit Cadillac uh, feature anyway. They're going to roll it out on other uh, models across the GM spectrum. So I thought it was interesting in their video when they were talking about it, and I don't know if it's true or not, when they were demonstrating it, <clears throat> they showed it on a two-lane road where the previous Super Cruise would only work on like an interstate highway. So I guess what you're saying is they've expanded a lot more. Dave, any uh, input? 
Yeah, the, the video is impressive. It showed it passing a camper on a two-lane road. It, it pulled out by itself and passed the camper, and they had the Justin Timberlake look-alike behind the wheel. It pulled back <laughs> in, and, and or Greg Carlos look-alike. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. That's more like it, right? Do you think, I mean, we talk about it's 112,000 plus to start two years down the line after that. I guess there'll be an $80,000 model. But, you know, this is just the beginning. We've got the Tesla Cybertruck. We've got uh, Rivian. There's like eight, nine, depending on what you're counting, of these all-electric pickup trucks heading for the market in the next couple of years. Really? Is there a market for this stuff? How is, uh, you know, the, the old pickup truck guy that lives and dies by them? in the Midwest, in the Southeast, away from metropolitan cities. Is there really a market for this kind of vehicle? Well, you know, I, I spent some time in Fargo, North Dakota a few weeks ago. Right. And it's huge truck country, but it's not really huge on EV charging. You know, we, there were three or four fast chargers in Fargo, but the next nearest one is 200 miles away. Mm. You know, like guys are like, I love to drive a new F-150 when it comes out to see what it does, but where am I going to charge EV. the new EV? Yeah. yeah. So where am I going to charge it? I mean, I, I drive hundreds of miles a day from ranch to ranch or whatever, going power lines or something, and I need to go all damn day. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I mean, I think in, in, in cases like that, it's not going to be exactly practical uh, when, you know, all of these uh, EV pickups start coming out. But if you, I mean, how many people buy pickup trucks and don't, use them to their pickup truck capability sure um, I, I think town, <laughs> i mean right now there's probably a couple dozen ev owners in fargo and i met half of them and they all share the same three chargers but when you get more than 30 40 yeah. cars sharing the same chargers you're gonna have lines at the pump basically yeah. unless you do home charging which most of them do but for fast charging it's more convenient to do it quickly obviously so it sounds like the interest is there. I mean, I know we're just talking about yeah. Fargo and, you know, a small sample size, but uh, yeah, I think the, to answer John's original question, I mean, it's the infrastructure just has to get there. And we've said that a million times. So I feel like that's going to take a while, but at least if you are in an area where there are charging spots, uh, I think the interest will be there. Certainly. I think, phones, certainly yeah. Well, yeah. I think as long as, you know, uh, the range is higher. I think 300 is a pretty solid number for, for most people. I think that sort of alleviates the range anxiety because I think people really have to start thinking about how you're going to be fueling your EV. It's going to be very different compared to how you're going to be fueling your, your gas engine vehicle because I can't fill up my gas engine vehicle at my house you know, and most of the time, what is my car doing? It's sitting. So I think for most people, uh, having a 300 plus mile range, being able to just charge it and basically have a full charge at your house. I mean, I, to me, I, I would hardly ever really need to use it outside of, of those bounds, but that's just sure. me. And I do a lot of road trips and 300 miles is a pretty good, you know, I want to stop at that point and rest for a little bit and get a bite to eat or build a tank and a 20 minute stop isn't a big deal for that point. You have to add 15 more minutes to it to charge the car fully. So be it. It's not a huge delay anymore. Having to stop every 200 miles is like, oh, come on, man, I got to get on the road. I got places to be. 
So, you know, I also number. think that the um, California basically saying, you know, no internal combustion engine light duty vehicles after 2035, and they're a huge part of the U.S. market, mm -hmm. makes vehicles like this look a lot more viable than, say, they did a month ago. And the fact that other states might follow them, so. Yeah, I think you might see that crab walk feature being used uh, for some parallel parking in L.A. <laughs> could be, could be. <laughs> Uh, there's other cool things though about it. They've got that four panel removable sunroof, which I thought personally was pretty cool. The back glass uh, rolls down. It looks like dimensionally it's it's not full size, but it's not mid-size, it's between the two. Uh, so it looks like a decent size that most people would find big enough mm -hmm. and uh, probably has a huge back seat. I like the interior. I thought it was very futuristic looking. Um, you know, so I think we're going to be talking about EV pickup trucks a whole lot, you know, on these podcasts. Can't wait somebody, to drive one. Yeah, somebody mentioned uh, our uh, first look on the Hummer EV, and it is up on uh, YouTube and our website, and you should catch it because it's pretty good. We cut in touch a lot of details that we didn't touch here. Anything else I uh, want to talk about that before we move on? Not that one. All right. Um, back down to earth. <laughs> 2020 Hyundai Sonata and the Sonata Hybrid, uh, solid, mid-size, made-in-America uh, sedans. I think when the uh, Sonata, we got our first look at it really almost a year ago, uh, it was pretty much high praise. Uh, one thing it does seem to lack is all-wheel drive. you got to go over to Kia and get that. Mm -hmm. uh, the Sonata Hybrid we've driven just recently, and I think it did well. With that said, you know, I don't want to get in and spend all day on the fact that mid-sized sedans are dying. They're still a significant factor. So the big question is, how does this vehicle rank against, say, stalwarts like the Toyota Camry, Honda Accord? Is it a real player? What do you think of the new Sonata? I think I uh, raved about this car a couple podcasts ago, the hybrid specifically, because it is, it's really nice inside and out. I mean, I, I understand the exterior styling might not be for everyone because they did kind of go a little bit more um i don't know forward thinking with their styling really harsh yeah. angles a lot of sloping lines and uh i think it looks good but i understand some people don't love it but i think everybody's going to love the interior i mean it's it looks upscale it feels better than past hyundais it seems like they really put some some effort into the quality of materials and I think they have to, especially, I, I think it competes much more with an Accord than it does a Camry, because I think it beats a Camry in terms of, in terms of interior technology, uh, comfort. And then um, there's just, again, with the hybrid, I drove it around for a full weekend without really trying to hypermile and got 48.6 miles per gallon. I mean, that, and that's with a lot of highway driving. Hmm. Which, yeah. which traditionally they said hybrids didn't do very well on, right. apparently, but obviously they do. So in the styling, give me a comparison against, you know, the previous, if you had to compare the new one versus the previous generation, what would you tell somebody that's really not into cars? I, th I think the previous one was more a, of a traditional style. If you look at it from a profile, um, you know, all the lines are what you had seen for the last two decades where it wasn't extremely sloping. You didn't have that really raked windshield, which it seems like they kind of got back to this time. Um, you know, it gets to the end of the car and then it goes down to the, to the uh, rear bumper. 
down to the headlights. Now it's, uh, like I said, the, the, the windshield's a little bit more raked, and then it has sort of at the rear uh, C-pillar, almost like a hatchback design, the way that it just, it's one continuous line down to the trunk, and it doesn't really level off, which I think looks really good. Yeah, I like the, uh, the headlight integration into the, the styling lines, the contour lines in the front. The grill is kind of a carp fish mouth, but you know, I can get past that. I like the contouring of the body styles and how they kind of added some, some texture to it, if you will, instead of just smooth lines, but actually some, some shape to, the, you know, to it. And I, I like it overall. It's a good-looking design. Yeah, and I, speaking of those headlights, I, was, I saw one on the road, and it was sort of an overcast day. And with those running lights, you're not going to miss that car that it's it's it's, yeah that's what i'm saying it's a very good thing especially um as you know we head into our winter months where it's mostly overcast all the time um you you can't miss it it's it's very sporty and and modern looking and i don't know whether that might turn off some people but uh i i don't think it's overt at all i think it it's it's sort of subtle in a way but maybe we're just sort of used to it at this point maybe it's subtle <laughs> thanks <Dave. laughs> oh it comes out of my mouth about half the time um the chassis is new i think it has a, a huge improvement in ride and handling i mean frankly a couple of years ago we would have said it had a luxury style ride and handling um sure. you know very european-ish uh, but not harsh um, it seems really stiff. Oh, it does have that one feature that they've spent a lot of time advertising about backing in and out of uh, tight parking spaces. Do you think that's Smart really pack. Huh? Yes. Smart pack. Smart pack. Smart pack. Yeah, I think uh, the commercials are clever for it with a guy with the monster truck parks beside it. Uh, it could be useful for things if you live in the city or have a tight driveway or whatever. Yeah. Parking yeah, garages. I didn't play with it. I saw that Rachel had done it in our road test. Yeah, it seemed to work pretty well. Yeah, I I tried it when it was in, and it does. And it was like it's kind of weird because you know, <laughs> Ford Ford actually showed the system very much like this in Europe years ago. I'd never experienced it in person, and there the parking spaces are so tiny that really you can't get park it and get out in some cases. And they were using it, and they were using a, um, uh, I think, a special remote. Now you obviously can use the, uh, well, I guess you use the key fob. Dude. So um, it it looks like it's probably got its place. I don't think I'd necessarily buy it because of it, but I think it does say a lot, again, about the luxury aspirations of the brand. So, and But yeah. nice, uh, nice sedan, and if you're looking for a midsize sedan, and believe me, there's some wonderful deals out there. I mean, if you're looking for, a, this is off subject. If you're looking for a, even a used sedan right now, the prices are amazingly low for what you get. A friend of mine called me and he had found a, a two-year-old a Jaguar XE with very low miles in the teens for, and that was a, with the V6, it was just 2017. 60 some thousand dollar car and he could get it for less than 30 and i thought wow you know that's really amazing so unless you're tied to an suv 
there's some really great bargains out there, both new and used. That's saying something because the used market right now is hot. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of uh, something different, Greg, <laughs> I never really knew that you liked oval racing. I never took you for a NASCAR fan, but you basically have done something firsthand at uh, one of our favorite tracks, and it's coming up on a show soon. So why don't you tell us what Over the Edge uh, has done for you lately? Yeah, I um, I some NASCAR was really my first entry or entry into uh, racing. So, okay. you know, and honestly, I was drawn into as silly as it sounds when they that was at a time where they were coloring the wheels like they would actually have contrasting colors to the wheels. And I was young. I was like, man, that looks really cool. Forget about the car going around the track at 190 miles per hour. I'm like, that looks sweet. Um, but no, that was, that was my first entry into racing. And then, uh, you know, I've never driven in a race and I've also only driven on like one oval track and that was at like 50% speed. So to be able to have an opportunity to go down to dominion where they were just really clamoring for me to get down there and try it out because they do, uh, you know, their oval track is their big time deal down there and they have real stars come up through those ranks because it's part of NASCAR home tracks and it's essentially mm -hmm. the minor leagues mm -hmm. for uh, oval track racers. So my time there, I met up with a guy named Sergio Pena who had come from uh, ro uh, road courses. He's done all pretty much any kind of racing you can think of. And his goal is to be a professional driver. And right now he's doing oval track because that's his best chance at it. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it was cool getting to talk to all those people, but really, um, I was in a series called the any car series, which is attainable to the every person. I mean, all you really need is a car. It can be a four cylinder, it can be eight cylinder, six cylinder. Uh, it has to be stock. That's part of the rules. Um, OEM parts. Uh, you can't like tune it and put nitrous in it and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, you throw, throw a roll cage in there and uh, hop on with uh, like five or six other racers, however, however many people are there that night and 20 laps I got to do. Mm. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's official oval track racing. I mean, you don't win any money or anything. You're not gonna go up through the ranks in it, but if you wanna get an oval track experience, <laughs> it, I mean, you're, it's, a, it's a race at night in front of a crowd and you, you know, you go out there and have a good time without worrying about losing too much money or really your life because that's where you're, honestly, you're, not, you're not going all that fast, but it's, it's fast enough. How about the sensation of, of driving around an oval with all the other cars around you and trying to stay away from everybody? I mean, and I've never done it. it that right there has got to be just a wild experience. It is. Like, you know, it's, it's like traffic jams at elevated speeds. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's because. Uh, I'm so used to driving on my own and like even during practice where I'm mostly out there by myself, you get into this nice groove where everything's perfect. You can take up as much space as you want to. You can hit your line perfectly, but in a race you can't. I mean, there's somebody on the inside, there's somebody on the outside. Then you're forced to, well, how do I take the best line without running into either of these cars? So yeah, I mean, it's a completely different ball game, not to mention it's dark on the track. I mean, it, it's obviously lit, but you know, you don't have the vision you normally would during a daytime race. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was able to translate some skills that I had learned from doing a ton of uh, road courses, mm -hmm. but it, it's a, it's a different animal. And <laughs> I had a pretty fast car. The guy who gave me his car, or one of his cars, Pete Sullivan, it was a uh, 98 Z28 
so independent rear had a V8 in it. I mean, I was cooking there for the first part of qualifying. Uh, but the other drivers are, are good, and they kind of let me know about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you uh, have a new appreciation for athletics when it comes to racing, too. Yeah, um, without giving too much away, there were some issues yeah. with the car. And uh, all I can say is I can't imagine what it's like being in that car or any high-performance car for hours at a time. I mean, the physical toll it takes on your body and your arms and your mind, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Anybody who thinks a race car driver is not an athlete is just wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's – can't wait to see it. Sounds like a really terrific segment. Okay, well, let's move on to our lightning round. And we, you know, once upon a time, we used to limit ourselves to 30 seconds, but we don't do that anymore. We just like throw this out there and see what everyone's got to say. Here we go. Aston Martin has uh, expanded its current deal with Daimler, in other words, Mercedes. And will uh, Mercedes-Benz is going to increase its stake in the British automaker up to about 20%. And this is in exchange for basically electric technology that Aston thinks it needs to move forward. Will this keep Aston Martin afloat? As a little caveat, Canadian billionaire Lawrence Stoll uh, won a bidding contest for a substantial uh, piece of Aston last January, and he beat out Mercedes. He bought, he's like the largest shareholder. So now they've had to go back to Mercedes and give them the stake they were after to begin with. So moving forward, does, do you, what do you think this means for Aston? Do you think that Mercedes may eventually become the parent company for it? Is it necessary? I mean, it's a, a great old brand, but they haven't been doing terrific lately. So what do you think? I think mergers are necessary these days for these smaller iconic brands to stay afloat. Even Rolls-Royce and Bentley are now under other corporate umbrellas. They've, right. they've maintained their, to the public persona, that we're Rolls-Royce and we're Bentley, but we know that Volkswagen and is it BMW owns them. Mm -hmm. I think Aston would go the same route. I mean, I think um, so many supercars these days have electrified powertrains. Aston's going to follow suit or be left behind. So, yeah, it's a great move, I think. I mean, Mercedes is a strong partner. That, yeah, it's just the nature of the business right now for every reason you just said. Um, and Mercedes has been focusing on electrification for some time now. They are definitely in it. And Aston Martin is definitely not in it at the moment. And Aston is already using some powertrains from them. The DVX already has their four liter V8. So uh, it's, it's a good move for Aston. And um, I think obviously good for, for Mercedes too. Yeah. Jessica, anything? No, I mean, uh, I guess I sort of agree with uh, both Dave and Greg here. Um, Let me ask you something directly. Um, you see every conceivable exotic car brand pop up on the internet constantly, and I'm sure there's some like Lamborghini that are always in the forefront. Does Aston Martin really play in the fantasy arena, the, you know, the, the young driver coming up that says, if I hit the lottery one day, that's what I want to buy. Are they too invisible? Is this part of their problem? Yeah, I, I, that might be part of it uh, because it is so niche. And um, I think it's always interesting to see how, uh, you know, used 
Aston Martins go for rather than, you know, compared to other used ultra luxury vehicles. I don't, I don't think they are as, um, say well regarded, but, uh, coveted, coveted. As well, yeah. Their product cycle is so, so long. They have so few models and they refresh them so infrequently. Unlike Lamborghini, he's always putting a special edition out or a special, here's the lightweight, here's the SV, here's the whatever, whatever, of every model they make. Aston is not really known much until the next James Bond film rolls around. Like, oh, Aston Martin, yeah, they're pretty good. And then they're forgotten again for a while because they don't have the product cycle. So I think Mercedes could help with that if they can get more stuff in the pipeline and get the name out there more and have more stuff to talk about. Yeah, it's definitely a beautiful design. The, sure, the DB11, the DBX is beautiful. Uh, so they can just get those powertrains a little bit more into the 21st century. Yep. And and like to, to what John was saying, I, I think they don't really, they're not out there enough. They don't make big enough of a splash on social media or whatever it is. I don't have that answer. I'm just telling you, I never see anything about them. Right until we have a DB, the, the new SUV. Yeah. Yeah, it's been very quiet, actually, recently, even though I think they're already producing the DBXs right now. Uh, so. Sure. They got a lot of stuff in the pipeline, but they need, obviously need some financial help to get it out. Well, I wish them luck. It would certainly be a brand that, uh, you know, we all, as Greg, I think, said at the beginning, we've seen, other companies take over some of these storied brands and keep them very, not only make them better, but keep them very distinctive. So, and hopefully maybe that's what will happen here. Okay. Um, we have a viewer question from Randy. He says, I've noticed that newer cars keep adding more and more gears to their automatic transmissions. Why do we keep doing this when I still use my good old four speed transmission in my Chevy S10 pickup? And it keeps on going just fine. Thank you very much. So what's the uh, point of eight, nine, and 10 speed uh, automatics that now are proliferating through uh, all kinds of vehicles, from trucks to cars to SUVs? I think, put simply, it's the higher the gear, the lower the RPM it's at cruising speed, and the lower fuel usage and better economy. Am I wrong there? That's a fuel economy, yeah. Every, they, uh, all the standards that have been lifted or raised the last couple of years, it's one way around it, exactly what you said. Um, I guess performance as well. I mean, you have closer gear ratios. You have a little bit more flexibility there. Uh, but I think it's mostly fuel economy. My, my old Jeep here is a three-speed. It just screams down the beltway. It's like, come on, man, where's my fourth gear? <laughs> yeah, com comfort's a big one, too. Just for my eardrums. <laughs> so, Jessica, you, you're being the, the newest member today on our, our roundtable on the staff. You probably came from a world of four or five gears, and now almost everything we get in has got an eight, nine, or ten speed. From a consumer standpoint, what have you noticed about it, uh, good, bad, and, and, and indifferent? Um, I think everybody's particular in how they – and and have their own opinions about uh you know transmissions and such and you'll have the purists who who don't want a 10 speed automatic transmission no matter what um but i know that uh what did i drive recently oh the 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 new tahoe i know that that has the 10 speed automatic transmission i 
believe either nine or 10. And I loved cruising that thing down the highway. I mean, it was smooth and going from uh, my Jeep, which is a a four speed auto, um, just being at like 50 miles an hour is a really annoying place to be because the car is giving way too much, or at least that I feel like the car is giving way too much. Um, but you don't, you don't feel that when you're driving. So it, it does have a, a better driving experience. And I think people notice that when, you know, going from a 2014 or 2015 of whatever vehicle they drive to a brand new 2020 or 2021. I think it's, you can notice it. Yeah. Some of them do downshift an awful lot to hunt for the right gear. There's so many to choose from. They only, you know, fifth gear is for these five miles per hour range and they got to keep hunting for gears. That bothers me a little bit, but some do it better than others. You know, one of the best I've seen so far is uh, we just, got out of the Cadillac AT4 sedan and that's got a 10 speed. GT4, right? AT4. I was pretty impressed, whatever it is. <laughs> a compact sedan. I just drove it to the store and back. <laughs> yeah, it, um, I, I was actually very impressed because we've had some real herky jerky, like you're talking about, you know, eight speed and nine speed transmissions and so. Mm. And if somebody gets in one of those after being in a S10 with a, you know, a four-speed that basically just uh, keeps on going and never uh, shouts about its uh, gear ratios, uh, they're not very happy. So uh, maybe it's a, it's a technology I don't think that's quite uh, uh, matured yet. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. CT4, 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 right. So we could get into a whole rant about that naming scheme because this is the problem everybody has. Right. Like, is it the CT4? You got to change it again anyway. We're, we're the so-called the expert. What car was that? I think it was black. <laughs> and see, yeah, like that's the thing. Is like, I, I don't. I think it's more of a comment on Cadillac than us. I mean, it's so hard to keep straight. Well, I keep thinking of ATS. Right. You know, exactly. Because this is basically the ATS successor. And because they made such changed. a big deal about it yeah. when it came and out. Every time a lot they of manufacturers it. have odd naming and nomenclatures these days. It's like, is that the is the four? Is that the coupe or the three series? Is that the four? Is that the coupe or the sedan? Or they're all, you know, what's it? What's it? Is a GX an SUV or sedan? I forget. And embarrassingly enough, if we can't keep it straight, the consumer can't keep it straight. Oh, I can't keep it straight until I go outside and say, oh, look, it's an SUV. Hey, wow. Let's go look at the, at the uh, trunklet and see what name it is got on it this week. <laughs> All right, folks, we're not quite that bad, but you get the, you get the drift. Thanks, Randy. I think it, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're happy with your four-speed, but it is all about fuel economy, and uh, I don't think it's like automatic stop-start. Uh, you, you're not going to stop the proliferation because it gets some just that little bit more fuel economy, and that's what counts these days uh, against the uh, government standards. So let's wrap things up uh, with a rant and rave. Anybody got something they want to explain? I do. Or... Oh, I do. Oh, there I he is. One. He's ready. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my, uh, we have a long-term Seltos, uh, Kia Seltos, kind of subcompact crossover. Yep. Uh, it does a lot of things right. Uh, my one issue is, and it actually goes for a lot of cars that try to, uh, you know, cut prices wherever they can. It's the fact that I have an automatic driver's window and no automatic passenger window driving huh. me nuts. 
I mean up and down. Yes, automatic exactly. up and up and down. To be able to just hit it once and have it go all the way up or all the way down. I don't understand why I can't I understand why not having it in the two rear windows, but the front two for driver control, I mean, you gotta be able to have automatic windows on on both sides of the cars. I don't know why that's a cost cutting feature. It just bugs the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kia product planner, take Thank that. You. Yeah. All right, I've got a I've got a shout out for a, for a, end on a good note, perhaps. Um, with this coronavirus thing, everybody's staying home. It's tough to find ways to enjoy your cars as a group, as an enthusiast community. I wanted to give a shout out to Haggerty Insurance, who's long been a supporter of the enthusiasts. Absolutely. And every year, Pebble Beach, they they have a gathering called the Dawn Patrol at the concourse, and you come and watch the cars drive onto the show field at dawn. Well, they couldn't have it this year, but Haggerty reached out to their customers, of which I am one, and said, go drive your classic car at, at dawn, or in the morning at least, on Polo Beach Sunday, and we'll send you the Dawn Patrol hat. And it's called Drive at Dawn instead of Dawn Patrol. But you know, I've got three or four of the hats from the concourse. It was nice to tie that in this year in the absence of the car show to still get yeah. the hat. But some people have 12 and 13 of these things going every year to the same car shows. So I thought it was a cool way to get the communities back involved and get people out driving their cars together, but separately. You know, I think Haggerty is the biggest, uh, in, in, most enthusiastic promoter nationwide of, the, of classic and collectible cars by Absolutely. far. They've, they've really done an amazing yeah. job. Of, uh, we had McKeel Haggerty on Goss's yeah. Garage probably 25 years ago when they were just yeah. starting in the classic cars. And he was talking about mouse-proofing your garage and basic stuff like that before yeah. they kind of hit it big. Yeah. I still remind them of that when I see them once in a while, <laughs> yeah. how far they've come. It's not about rodents anymore. No. <laughs> Anybody else got anything else? Anybody else got anything they want to talk about? Well, I think we're talked out. All right. So that brings to a close, everybody, our Motor Week podcast number 241. Thanks, Jessica, Dave, and Greg for your time today. And thanks all of you out there for listening to us on our motorweek.org website or going over to YouTube and actually seeing us in the flesh, as it were. Remember that if you are a fan of Motor Week, you can see us on almost any screen you've got. Uh, for all of our broadcast work, refer to our motorweek.org website. You can go up the top and pull down, see the stations we're on. Also check over on uh, Motor Trend uh, Cable Network. Uh, we're there several times a week. Basically, wherever you are, whatever you're doing when it comes to cars, Motor Week is there to help you live with a car and enjoy what really has to be one of America's uh, most uh, largest and, and most fun hobbies. And we're here to help you uh, enjoy it whenever we can. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.